Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you are stepping away from your radio for any reason, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. All you got to do is go to iTunes or wherever it is that you download podcasts. You can download and subscribe to our podcast on Detroit Today. Then you can take us with you, and you can listen to us whenever you're ready. A little later in the program, we are going to talk about the ongoing argument over what should happen at Michigan State University in the wake of the Larry Nasser trial. Last week, we saw about 100 young women and girls testify about what happened to them at the hands of Dr. Nasser. There is now a loud argument going on in East Lansing about what should happen to the people who were in charge of the university at that point. Uh, we're going to talk with a couple of folks about how that should look going forward. But first, we're on day three of the partial federal government shutdown. Members of Congress are still trying to hammer out a deal to fund the government at least for a short period of time before all this comes to a head again. In the meantime, tens of thousands of federal workers are sitting at home this morning and waiting to go back to work. And it leaves a lot of folks wondering about the state of government programs they depend on. What will this mean for people right here in Michigan. In a little bit, we're going to talk with Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democratic congressman from Flint Township, represents the 10th district here in Michigan, in Washington. We're going to talk to him about the political implications of this, what the negotiations look like, what he thinks might happen over the next few days, whether the government will get back open through a deal in Congress, mostly over immigration. But we want to start with this idea of what this means here in Michigan. And joining us to help figure that out is Charles Ballard. He's a Michigan State University economist. Charlie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. Good to talk to you. Sure. So I, I, I always uh, caution people who say, well, you know, the federal government, it's important, but it doesn't really affect people's lives the way that local governments do, state and, and, and municipal governments, uh, that, that, that there's not that much to notice when the federal government's not operating. I always say that's, you're not thinking about all the things that the federal government does. Talk about some of the things that uh, are not functioning today because of this, uh, this shutdown. Well, let me first talk about some things that we do know uh, are functioning, the, the, the blue-shirted transportation security administration folks at the airports, they are working, although they are, are working without pay. Active duty military are, are working. Border security is working. A lot of things we're absolutely sure they're going to continue. Then I think there's a whole lot of things that are sort of in a, uh, in a gray area where, look, if, if this thing gets uh, fixed today, you will have had a lot of federal workers who missed one day. That is not going to cause enormous disruption. Sure. But the longer it goes, the more it will have an effect. Let me give you an example from five years ago uh, of something that had an effect at, at Michigan State University mm -hmm. and, and also at University of Michigan and any other place that has research grants. Right. Uh, those research grants are, are administered by the National Science Foundation, by the National Institutes of Health and or other organizations. And when the civilian employees at those places got furloughed, all sorts of nuts and bolts, uh, processing of payments, uh, uh, paperwork, making sure that, that all of the appropriate thing, boxes have been checked, all of that ground to a halt. And it caused huge disruption at 
U of M and MSU. So that's that's uh, one example uh-huh. of of something that would make a difference. Uh, I think if you're if you want a visa or a passport, you might have trouble uh, getting those processed. Lots of there are a lot of things that the federal government does, as you say, that that ordinary citizens are not necessarily aware of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there are some economic implications of at least uh, for a prolonged shutdown. If this were to go on for a few weeks, for instance, uh, the, the, the federal government is part of the economy, and shutting it down has an effect on on the other parts of the economy, right? Absolutely. I mean, if we if we uh, go long enough that, uh, you know, we're talking probably something in the order of 800,000 federal employees who, if, if this keeps on going on, they'll get to their next pay period and they won't get a paycheck. Right. Well, uh, that means they're going to have to dig into their savings. They may not, they may have to put off some expenditures. You know, they were thinking of buying something, but gosh, now we got to, stay home and eat rice and beans, that will ripple through the rest of the economy as the retailers who they would otherwise have gone to will, will see their business uh, shrink. And then those retailers may have to lay off people. If, it's, if, it's, um, if it goes on for long enough, that could, first of all, it could cause devastation to the individual federal employees. Uh, and obviously, that's most important in District of Columbia, Maryland, and Northern Virginia. But there are federal employees here in Michigan, right? And and then the longer it goes, the more those ripple effects will work their way through the economy. Um, it could eventually, if it goes on for long enough, be big enough to to slow down the economy somewhat. Right. Right. Uh, this this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Charles Ballard. He's a Michigan State University economist. We're talking about the federal government shutdown, what effect that will have uh, on people here in the state of Michigan. What are the things that may not function because the government is at least partially closed? Uh, this is the first uh, weekday, uh, business day, that the government is shut down. It, it closed on Saturday morning after congressional leaders failed to reach a deal uh, over immigration and some other issues. How could this shutdown affect your life? Are you a federal employee? Uh, do you depend on federal programs that are going to be affected by this shutdown? And who do you blame for this impasse? We want to hear from you about all of that. The number, as always, on the phones is 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or if you go to Twitter and hashtag us at Detroit Today, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Talk to us about whether you even notice that the federal government is shut down today, or maybe you're in the camp of people who believe that these kinds of shutdowns are good reminders of. Uh, the, the the role of government. In other words, uh, if you support it or don't support it, do you think that this is a reminder of how inconsequential the federal government is in people's lives or of how consequential it is? Again, the number on the phones three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Michael on Facebook says the party in control is to blame. How can you have all the cards and still not win the game? It's ridiculous to think otherwise. The Republicans under McConnell and Ryan have spent years working to ruin anything done by Obama and now are wondering what's wrong. Well, the only common denominator is the Republican leadership. 
Uh, again, if you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019. Uh, Charlie Ballard, uh, talk about this this uh, this argument about the importance of the federal government. I mean, Republicans spend a lot of time uh, talking down the importance of the federal government, talking about things that, that it shouldn't be doing anyway. Uh, I guess some of them, uh, in, in cases like these, are saying, well, this is not the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, I, I think if I could sort of put this in context, when we use the word government, and especially federal government, that has become a code word that doesn't necessarily mean uh, what you might think it means. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's a quote from during the campaign, now President Trump said, I hate the way our government spends our money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then, that raises for me the question of what exactly does the federal government spend money on? Well, it spends almost a trillion dollars on Social Security. Right. And I didn't hear candidate Trump or President Trump saying we should shut down Social Security. There are a lot of people who will say, oh, I hate government, but then when you say, well, do you hate Social Security? No, of course not. In fact, it reminds me of the woman in 2009 who was quoted as saying, keep your government hands off my Medicare. Right. <laughs> that that right. In, the, in the eyes of many Americans, government has become this sort of code word for evil. But then when you look at the end, what does the government do? The biggest categories are Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Yeah, and defense. Each of which is more than half a trillion. And then... Um, the uh, national defense, which yeah. many Republicans would like to increase, not decrease. Right. Uh, and when you take those plus the interest on the national debt, you get up to about 90% of the total. And so it's only the other stuff, national parks, uh, FBI, Drug Enforcement Administration, aid to education, that's, that's all that's left after you take out those few categories, most of which are pretty popular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Derek on the west side. Derek, welcome hey, to the show. Hey, good morning, today. fellas. How are you all today? Good. How are you? I'm okay. All right. First, who do I blame? Um, that person who sits at sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. I did. It all starts. It stops with him. But my question is, will the IRS um, office here in Detroit will that be closed today? Uh, that's a great question, Derek. I don't think I know the answer to that. Uh, Charlie Ballard, uh, can you can you help Derek out there? I, I am I am not sure. I uh, you know one of the things that I I, I you know I apologize for not knowing exactly which uh, offices are open, but I think that there are a lot of things that are sort of going to be partly open, um, but maybe reduced staff, mm-hmm. and and I think that's going to be an ongoing. Uh, uh, conversation among government managers uh, as they figure out, you know, can we keep something, can we keep a, anything at least a little bit open? Right. Because I think in terms of the optics, it, it certainly the administration wants it to not be severe. They want to put the blame on the Democrats, but they don't want to close the national parks because that may, might make it look worse. Right, right. No, I think that's right. I mean, and there is this kind of negotiation, and my memory serves, that goes on when you have a government shutdown about what you you can afford to keep open and what you what you can't, uh, what you can sort of attach kind of emergency uh, status to, 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 to keep rolling. And then there's, of course, levels of, of people uh, who are either uh, expendable at that point, I guess, or, or not. Okay, Charles Ballard, Michigan State University economist, as always, thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen.
Yeah. Let's pivot now to Dan Keldy, who is a Democratic congressman from Flint Township, represents Michigan's 10th district here, or 5th district here in, uh, in uh, Michigan. Uh, Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. You there? Yep. Can you hear me? <laughs> there you are. All right. okay. Welcome there you are. Thanks to Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, let's start with you talking about what is going on in Washington right now. What happened over the weekend after the shutdown started on Saturday morning in terms of negotiations and uh, where we look to, to, to sort of head in the early days of this week? Well, there have been negotiations, uh, you know, pretty much ongoing. Unfortunately, um, the negotiations, which got really close to resolving this question, blew up when what the president had agreed to with the uh, Senate Minority Leader uh, Schumer um, was essentially uh, ended by one of the uh, people in the in the White House. The, the real problem we have here is that there's negotiation happening between reasonable people on both sides of the partisan aisle. But the the way the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate and in the White House have operated is to give a veto authority to the most extreme voices. Right. So, for instance, Stephen Miller, who is this you know young uh, member of the president's staff in the White House, basically gets to veto any deal that elected representatives work out from the White House point of view. In the in the House, Mark Meadows, the head of the Freedom Caucus, mm-hmm. gets to veto any deal that reasonable people put together, even though his positions are way out of the mainstream. And the same is true of Tom Cotton in the Senate. Tom Cotton's from Arkansas. And so there's no way to have a legitimate debate and negotiation that gets us a bipartisan plan when the most extreme voices essentially get to say no, even though they represent a very extreme view and a very small minority of opinion. That's that's where that's why we're in the shape we're in. That's why we can't get this this thing resolved. And and talk about what things then uh, Democrats have offered up as as bargaining chips. I mean, what 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 things have Democrats? given in on as a way of saying, all right, well, you know, we can't have everything we want if we're going to if we're going to work together with, uh, uh, you know, a party that thinks differently than we do. What how far has the Democratic caucus moved? Uh, Well, we've we've come a long, long way now, starting with the fact that the budget itself that is being debated um, even though it's only a short-term budget, it is not a reflection of the values that we think ought to be reflected in the budget. It underfunds the social safety net. It underfunds key investments in education, in workforce training, in infrastructure. So it doesn't include the things that we want to have in the budget in the first place. Secondly, um, it, the Congress has yet to deal with the issue of the DREAMers. And we need to deal with this. We cannot be a country that will deport 800,000 kids uh, as a tool to extract from the minority concessions on a whole range of other issues. Uh, so we, we haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, the budget actually closes down all the community health centers that are an important part of the public health infrastructure. It's the way people who get CHIP, who get Medicaid, for example, Mm -hmm. actually access public health. 
healthy, you know, basically you're able to go to the doctor. Uh, so there's a whole range of things where we, we have given up. Uh, there are some places where we draw the line. And for me, drawing the line is keep the, keep the community health centers open. Make sure we're not deporting 800,000 kids who only know this country. Um, we're willing to give on border security. We're actually willing to give, you know, I hardly even get the words out of my mouth, but give on what Trump calls the wall mm-hmm. in order to get these things. But, but the Republicans won't take yes for an answer. Yeah. They just want to continue to drive this wedge. So, so here's a more philosophical question for you. Uh, I, I talk to a lot of people who are Democrats and liberals who say that the problem is that Democrats don't behave the way Republicans do, that they don't dig in and say, well, these things are non-negotiable. And maybe they are far out on the political extreme for this party, but they are core values and we will just not move on them. And the the, the reason I hear people sort of asking why Democrats don't do that is because even though Republicans pull that and it seems like uh, an uncooperative way to govern, they win. Uh, I mean, so many times they take these positions and then Democrats move in order to give them at least partially what they want. Uh, explain why that's not the, the the strategy on the left side of the political spectrum. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we're in the position we're in right now is because we have held fairly firm. You know, the fact that Democrats, with the exception of just a handful in the House, uh, would did not support the continuing resolution. Right. The fact that Senate Democrats are at least for now, holding strong is number one. That's a reflection that we, when the moment comes, we can, we can hold firm. The problem we have, though, is in the the basic sort of construct of the debate, is that there are there are Democrats. Or I'm sorry, there are Republicans who really don't fundamentally believe in a federal government being comprised of all the you know, the important programs that we think are important. So when they see the government shut down, for them it's a moment of celebration. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It's, the, uh, it's the, uh, the achievement that they have come here uh, to pursue. For us, it's, it's, it's tragic because people are dependent on, uh, you know, effective government services being provided by the federal government. So we have more to lose. Very often when it feels like we're capitulating, I understand that sense. I do. But it's because our values basically tell us, look, we have to make sure that we're we're protecting folks. There are people, and not all on the other side, for sure not all, but the voices who've been empowered on the other side very much uh, believe that, that no government is better than the government that they see in place right now, and they're willing to take us there. Yeah, uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, my guest is Representative Dan Kildee, represents the 5th Congressional District here in Michigan. We're talking about the government shutdown, uh, the fact that uh, uh, congressional leaders were unable to reach a deal last Friday in order to keep the government open. Saturday morning, the government shut down. Today is the first business day of that shutdown. While leaders still try to talk with one another in Washington about getting the government back open, uh, what do you think about the idea of this shutdown? What do you think is the effect of this shutdown? Talk to us about what 
in your life might be different because uh, because the government's not open. Also, talk about what you think both sides ought to be doing. What should they be compromising on in order to get the government back open? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones, as always. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Beth on Facebook says they have all failed. None of them get the job done. They all seem to have forgotten what negotiation and compromise are all about. Kenneth on Facebook says, I'm unaware of the implications this has on financial aid processing. As a student, this worries me greatly. More importantly, this puts my and millions of other people's lives in a very precarious situation. The NEH and NEA are shut down as well, and many of those in the academic scholarly fields rely on institutions like the Library of Congress, on museums and archives. All I can say is thanks, Republicans. Uh, Dan Kelly, I'll give you a chance to answer uh, Kenneth's question there about the implications on financial aid processing. I mean, I, you know, uh, whenever this happens, I think we're always sort of caught on our heels about what it actually means in terms of what's closed, what's happening, and what's not. Do you know about financial aid processing during a shutdown? Yeah, I don't specifically know about that office, although I suspect it's like many. The the administrative processing is, is stopped. Uh-huh. But that doesn't mean when government is reopened that the commitments that students can depend upon won't be in place. It's, it's all, everything is sort of on hold, basically. Um, and, you know, that's frustrating. And I, and I get it. I get it that people say we've all failed. But isn't really ultimately that the, the message that, that those who really favor a shutdown, who really are trying to extract concessions from Democrats because we're in the minority, that they want to hear they want to. They want us to be, a, you know, a pox on all houses. The truth of the matter is, what what Democrats are trying to do right now is stand up for the the rights of the minority that are built into our constitution, mm-hmm. and and essentially to fight for those programs and those investments that we think are really important. And yeah, we compromise all the time. We have compromised to the point where it's now January twenty second. And this budget was supposed to start October 1st. Right. We right. compromised in September. We compromised again in December. You know, and my view is, at what point do we say, enough is enough. Let's grow up. Let's do a budget that we, we might not like at all. But let's do a budget that gets us through the end of the year. And when Congress actually does agree, like, we do on, on the uh, DACA recipients, mm-hmm. there are probably 300 out of the 435 members of the House that would vote for a DACA fix. There's right. a, definitely a majority in the Senate. So let's do that. We should. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. We've got a lot of folks waiting to participate in the conversation here. Charlie in Royal Oak, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, hi. Um, first question, does Congress get paid while the government shut down? And uh, I guess the second would be, um, uh, how is this shutdown any different than half a dozen others we've had in 20 years? Is it any more important, less important, and are we actually going to get anything out of it? That's a great. Those are both great questions, Charlie. Thanks for the thanks for the call, uh, Dan. Uh, talk about whether whether you and your colleagues get paid during a shutdown first, and then uh, 
uh, put well, this like, con- shut like, down in context. Like all federal employees, there's a there will be a decision made as to who gets paid after we reopen. Um, so yeah, typically everyone ends up getting uh, compensated, including members of Congress. Um, you know, so I understand that. That's a frustration. It's actually, unfortunately, it's written into the Constitution what our compensation uh, that our compensation can't be reduced. But it's it's a fact that everyone's uh, compensation will be determined in the resolution that ultimately gets government reopened. And my view is we ought to have everybody. Um, now, we offered yesterday a piece of legislation that the Republicans refused to take up to say that. Absolutely, during the shutdown, that uh, the, those in the in the military will continue to receive their pay no matter what. Yeah. But the Republicans would not allow that to come to the floor because they like the fact that they can go out and say that the Democrats, because they're blaming us, are shutting down government and not paying the troops. Well, we offered legislation to pay the troops. They would not let us. They wouldn't even let us bring it up for a vote. Right. On the second... Um, question is, how is this different than past shutdowns? This is the first time in American history that the government has shut down when one party controls all three branches. I'm sorry, I mean, I mean the House, the Senate, uh, and the and White the House, all three parties to the, to the dispute. Republicans control the House, Republicans control the Senate, Republicans control the White House. And we've had a shutdown. That's never happened in the history of American government. It's usually been between a divided government that can't come to a resolution that we've had this happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an important distinction. Uh, I heard uh, uh, a Republican strategist over the weekend talking about how uh, you know, the, the, the fault here lies with Democrats because you need 60 votes in the Senate to do anything like this. Uh, and and I think that's a good answer to it. Uh, you have needed 60 votes in the Senate to do this forever. And when Democrats were in the position of controlling everything, you didn't ever have this happen. And right. in the past, when Republicans were in the control, you didn't have it. There's something special about what's going on. Yeah. And I think the important thing about the fact that the Republicans control the House and the Senate, for sure, is that they get to decide what goes up for a vote. So when it comes to coming to a resolution, one uh, variable is figuring out where the areas of agreement and disagreement are and trying to compromise on those. But the other is, even when we agree, if we don't get to vote, it doesn't, it doesn't do matter. any good. Right. And, and, and that's the frustration that I've had with the fact that the most extreme voices are empowered to determine what we get to vote on. Tom Cotton in the Senate gets to determine what goes to the Senate floor. Mark Meadows, a representative from North Carolina, the head of the Freedom Caucus, he gets to decide what goes to the floor of the House. And Stephen Miller, who is, I think, a really scary character in the White House, he is the one who's whispering in the president's ear and basically keeping him from following his own instinct to do a to do a deal, right? He's not been allowed to do it. Yeah. Okay, Dan Keldy, Congressman from Flint Township. Thank you very much for being here on All the right. today. Thanks, Stephen. Always great to talk to you. Up next, we are going to catch up with what is going on about uh, Dr. Larry Nasser's trial at Michigan State University and how the handling of this is coming under real scrutiny in East Lansing and around the state. Stay with us. 
on Detroit Today.